The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 41 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show podcast proudly presents to you this look at the decade of decadence. A little indulgence for your day, as we bring Saturday night to whenever you damn well please. So let's welcome to the stage your trio's tag team champions. The Master Library, Kevin, it's Tricky Hellions. The Educator of Access. And Sweet Maddie Treats. As they bring to you Saturday night's main event. The House Show Podcast Way. Welcome everyone to another edition of the House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my right is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator. It's a it's a new new year, new me. Happy New Year, baby. Oh, what a wonderful way to start the year. Some Saturday night's main event. Ah, we're pivoting on to different programming in a different era for new content for the Retro Network. Very much looking forward to the direction the show is going. And uh, first debut episode for this season. Be interesting to see the direction our conversation goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it is a new year. So how are your resolutions doing? We're a week into the new year. Are you still holding strong at your resolutions? What did you What did you have? Yeah, I didn't have any resolutions. Let's let's be honest. Twenty. Are you laying off the ha- laying off the Hasbro's this 2020 year? Twenty twenty was so rough. No, we're going all out. We're gonna get every, all of them. Hopefully, maybe even the green cards. Those smoking oh, guns are, are hopefully coming my way at one point. Oh, baby. All right. And to my left is none other than the master library, Kevin Hellions. Kevin, how's your new year been? Oh, it's been good. Big 2021, season three. And while we are discussing Saturday night's main event, new episode of our show here, it's Thursday, and you know what that means. Absolutely. We are bringing Saturday night to thursday morning and uh it's a pleasure to have you guys here of course when it's saturday night's main event we're getting bottle service we're in the club uh you know i think that's what we're what we're doing here so uh you know educator dancing over there you just looking good looking looking good um but guys before we get into it uh kevin what resolutions did you have this year anything i'm i'm gonna try to do a few things you know uh i lost a lot of weight when i was uh deathly sick there for a week so I, I attained that goal that we talked about in a previous episode. Congratulations. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do less social media and more uh, content creation. Oh, okay. So are you looking uh, like a naked Midian right now? A, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I am wearing only a fanny pack. It's uh, mostly because... Uh, is that, wait, is that your new website? Only fanny? Is that your only new website? Onlyfannypack.com? <laughs> yes. It's my... Okay. You can see exclusive pictures of myself on only fanny packs. <laughs> 
Yeah. So my uh, New Year's goal, guys, is uh, DDP yoga. I want to do that every day. I, I did it during the quarantine when we first started doing this. Uh, then I started working mm-hmm. and I couldn't do it anymore because work sucks. So, uh, yeah, I want to uh, continue on that yoga train. Now, yeah. w- what if you took it to work with you? Like you could just uh, get a session in, in your uh, office, maybe on your lunch break. I will never do that. <laughs> just close the door. I'll be fine. You close the door. You'll have grunting. Yeah. Pop in one of my earbuds. There you go. Pop in the AirPod. No one will know that I'm there. Maybe one of the fitting rooms. <laughs> they're shut down currently. So let's keep it that way. <laughs> See, let's keep it that way. Then. No one will go in there. <laughs> let's keep it that way all right guys why don't we get right into saturday night's main event uh this might look a little different because i mean what a transition to go from let me see here all right so we had well, we'd havoc and then we had the gingerbread house show mm-hmm. and then we had our the outtakes yeah. episode or the outhouse show yeah right um I don't really have like a catchy pun for for the Saturday night's main event show. We'll come up with it by the end of the series, and then we'll start using it. But the main house? No, no. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. This will be very interesting because, you know, in your house series was almost a monthly bi monthly event, right? Mm -hmm. And then Halloween Havoc was a yearly event. So Saturday night's main event is just an odd like. When did they did they have a set time structure for it? Because yeah. I know episode one is obviously in May. Uh, episode two takes place in October. And then episode three is literally four weeks later. It, Saturday Night Live schedule at the time was three weeks live, a fourth week off. Right. So they were trying to schedule it so that it would always air that fourth week off. But because the TV season is give or take September to May, they also wouldn't do a June, July, August because that's not fresh TV time. So they're that summer repeat time. So, but but I'm just saying it'll be interesting to see what storylines carry over when there is that October to November one uh, compared to when it's May through you know to October when you have yeah. that break within right. the summer. So. Um, so we're taking place here. Uh, the date was well, we will do the air date rather than when it was like taped. Uh, but the air date was May 11th, 1985. We are at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in front of 8,300 people for the first Saturday night's main event. Uh, what, what did you guys think of the presentation of this? I mean, it, it was scaled back. Of course, it, where we are, it was coming off of WrestleMania, so... I mean, there was no big sets, nothing like that um, in this era of wrestling. So so what did you guys think? How did it feel to you? Basic ring, you know, ring apron for the Saturday night main event. You know, you saw Hogan and Mr. T trying to be their own merch in terms of wearing the black T-shirts with the logo on it. Um, it it's the first in the series. It starts off very, very rough, very, very basic. I believe we will see over time a lot more glitz, a little bit more glamour with banners hanging from the ceilings and and a much more dedicated entrance with with the logos and so on. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting start. It's an interesting take with 1985 just coming off of the heels. We're about six or so weeks 
uh, from WrestleMania and the fallout of the main event and the tag match with Mr. Wonderful, you know, taking the fall and losing for the heel team here. So it'll be interesting to see what our discussions lead in, tor- in terms of the Piper's Pit as well as the Hulk Hogan Bob Orton match later in the night. I mean, this is a it's a pilot episode, really. We're not quite polished. We're not quite there, but we're showing what we can do. And the big legend is that the reason WWE's production values are so high is because of Saturday night's main event. When NBC started putting money into it, Vince is like, I want all of our shows to look like that. And you see on here, the the interview setup is weird. There's not really a dedicated aisle for the wrestlers to do entrances. And we're so used to modern era when a whole fourth side of the arena is just this elaborate stage for entrances. So it's it's interesting seeing a stripped down, like almost indie level of presentation on this. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's jarring, especially too when we go from Halloween Havoc two thousand to this. Um, you know, I do like when we we jump one from federations, but really eras uh, to go from the two thousands to the mid eighties really is like whole. Oh, okay, okay, let's get back into that mindset. Big really, step back, uh, right? Yeah, it really take place. Uh, the one thing is, educator, you were the person that wanted to do Saturday night's main event. Yes. Is that correct? That is, I, I pushed for this for this season, yes. You pushed for it. Uh, I pushed for Halloween Havoc. We decided that we would do In Your House altogether. Okay, so the first In Your House takes place where? Syracuse, Syracuse. New York. Okay, uh, Halloween Havoc, the first match on the original Halloween Havoc. Do you remember what it was? It was Mike Rotunda versus a Z-Man. Okay, where's Mike Rotunda from? Syracuse, New York, baby. All right, so let's start Saturday night's main event off with our first match of the evening, <laughs> uh, which just happens to have Mike Rotunda in it. So the Syracuse connection is part of it. Um, but before we get into the match, I did want to touch on the little you know video insets. Uh, you know, we have Cindy Lopper and Wendy Richter talking. Uh, there's a Hawk Hogan, Mr. T one. Uh, we get Mean Gene interviewing uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda, and, of course, Captain Lou Albano. And our announcers are Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. Okay. I just wanted to get that all in there. Uh, what did you guys think of that? Did, does that bring you back? Those little inset interviews, they just drip with nostalgia. Am Absolutely. I crazy for thinking oh, about I that? Oh, I love him. Absolutely. Really pull out the heartstrings as to when wrestling, for me, uh, was so captivating. I mean, this is 1985. I, I'm, you know, I'm in my second or third grade year of school here, uh, eight years old. So, um, just absolutely. So third grade, yeah. So absolutely, just pulled at my heartstrings. This is the the era that really got me interested. It was right around the time I hadn't been following WWF until right around WrestleMania two. So, but it was the Saturday night's main event shows that really pulled me in. And the, I just loved, loved the presentation. See, I think, you know, being aware of wrestling, but it was really WrestleMania three that pushed me over into being a fan. Uh, my babysitter had a recording of it somehow. I forget. And I knew who Hulk Hogan was and Andre Giant. Cause that just, you know, permeates into, you know, the rest of culture. So I watched that over and over again and then expanded out to, you know, going to local video store and renting whatever and watching Saturday night's main event. But I missed a lot of this. And I'm so used to the style that I ended up seeing. Like when they were doing the interviews at the beginning, I assumed it was green screen. 
because so many of those are at the time and then you know you see a couple more angles for setup i'm like oh no they're there they're sitting right there right this hole in the bleachers and just doing the interviews there just like guerrilla filmmaking style let's take what we have and go it was fascinating to see and of course we still have the carryover of course the first wrestlemania happened probably like six weeks before five weeks before if you're doing the time because that was march uh 31st uh so cindy lopper and mr t still hanging around for that rock and wrestling connection uh how long was cindy lopper around for when it comes to the wwf obviously mr t would eventually have his uh what boxing match and, right with, with piper and all that WrestleMania too i don't remember cindy lopper being involved with wrestlemania 2 festivities um i think after the whole screw job that happened with Wendy Richter dropping the belt to the spider lady who was Moolah under the mask. I think by then the uh, relationship with Cindy Lauper and her crew and the WWF had, had by then finished. See, and while she wasn't like on camera doing stuff because of the rock part of the rock and wrestling connection, MTV playing videos constantly and it wasn't just like a top 40 what's popular at the time they were playing all sorts of videos you always have the cindy lopper videos with captain lou and captain lou was still involved right. off and on for many more years in wwf so you still had her tangentially connected with wrestling for a while even though she wasn't on their shows she was still like giving her approval almost still in the videos so why don't we get right into match number one um so it is a six-man tag match. It is the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, and George the Animal Steel with classy Freddie Blassie in their corner, taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Barry Windham, Mike Rotundo with Captain Lou Albano in his or in their corner. Yeah, that sounds right. Right? Yeah. Good. The U.S. Express, uh, Windham and Rotunda. What a great team. So the U.S. Express, actually, it, it's interesting if you hear the 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 replacement music. Um, they had originally come out to Born to the USA or at least a, a version of it um, or a similar to it on the uh, WWE Network presentation. But the Hulk Hogan Real American uh, music was originally made for the U.S. Express to be their entrance name. Can never go wrong with some Rick Derringer. So true. Might wrong there. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is the first Saturday night's main event breakdown. Educator, take it away. So interesting. I don't know if you guys. I just thought it was noticeable or whatnot. The fact that. We're so used to Ricky Steamboat and his presentation with the longer tights. Um, in this particular match, he had the short uh, midriff tights, the traditional uh, tights themselves. Um, the faces all having black tights, I guess matching, kind of sort of matching gear, coming to the ring wearing the same jackets, showing some unity. Um, really, you don't see that too, too often when we have mixed man tag matches. Uh, we've got Sheik and Volkov, who are the reigning WWF tag team champions. And you've got Georgie Animal Steel. So they're all, you know, different gear uh, representing, you know, their whole different style. At the beginning of the match, we see Nikolai Volkov having uh, 
ring announcer Howard Finkel ask everyone to please rise for the singing of the Soviet national anthem. The crowd absolutely just booing like crazy. And then the faces come to the ring with the with the born in the USA music, at least, you know, the WWE Network version that's played over. But the crowd just absolutely loving it. We see Barry Windham and Iron Sheik. They start off the match. The Sheik tries to do a right hand to Barry Windham, but he blocks and he counters with a right hand of his own. We see Barry Windham with a hip toss and a body slam to the Iron Sheik. We get a quick tag from Mike Rotunda, who does an axe handle off the uh, rope to the arm of the Iron Sheik. Rotunda quickly tags Ricky Steamboat, and he comes off the top rope with a chop to Sheik's arm as well. Rotunda and Steamboat do a double-team maneuver. Irish whip Sheik into the ropes, and they hit a double back elbow on the Iron Sheik to knock him down. We see Rotunda with a body slam and an elbow drop on the Sheik, and he gets a two-count from the referee. Ricky Steamboat's tagged back into the match. He does an Irish whip, and Irish uh, the Iron Sheik ends up countering and does an abdominal stretch. Ricky Steamboat is able to escape the abdominal stretch by doing a hip toss counter. The heels attempt to come in, but Ricky Steamboat is able to hip toss both uh, George the Animal Steel and Nikolai Volkov. We get a weird cut back from a commercial break where we see Steamboat hit a power slam to the Iron Sheik. He climbs to the top rope and hits a drop kick and goes back to the top rope again and does a cross body where then the uh, the Russian Nikolai Volkov runs into the ring to interrupt the referee's count. We see Barry Windham fend off Nikolai Volkov to get him out of the ring. Sheik is able to tag Nikolai Volkov, but Steamboat is able to counter with chops. He does an Irish whip into the corner and hands up uh, it running into uh, Volkov's boot. Barry Windham is eventually tagged into the match. We see Steamboat and Barry Windham do a double drop kick to Nikolai Volkov after they did an Irish whip into the ropes. We get a uh, two count from the referee. Mike Rotundo immediately tagged back in. He ends up dropping two leg drops onto Volkov, goes for a pinfall attempt, and George the Animal Steel runs in and breaks up the pinfall. We see Mike Rotundo with a backland-like bridge roll up onto Volkov for a two count. Rotunda then attempts a backslide for a two count onto Nikolai Volkov. He attempts to do a pretty decent looking sunset flip, but because of their positioning, they end up rolling into the ropes and the referee stops the count. Barry Windham's tagged back in. He runs the ropes and does a sunset flip, but again, uh, Volkov is too close to the ropes and the referee stops making the count. Eventually, Georgie Animal Steel is tagged in. We see Barry Windham and George Steele trading blows back and forth. Eventually, George Steele goes to tag out, but both the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov kind of drop to the floor, leaving George the Animal Steel by himself to fend. As George the Animal Steel attempts to, you know, have a conversation or argument with Classy Fetty Brassy, who's pointing his cane at George Animal Steel. Barry Windham does a cradle roll up onto George Animal Steel for the one, two, three pinfall. Your winners of the match, the U.S. Express and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Post match, we see the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. They turn on and attack George the Animal Steel who by then had begun ripping apart some of the turnbuckle pads and shredding uh, the turnbuckle pads. 
Eventually, George the Animal Steel is able to fight back and counter the efforts of both Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. And we see um, the uh, the efforts of Captain Lou Albano, who will, used to be a former manager of George the Animal Steel. He gets into the ring and is able to calm George the Animal Steel down who was going frantic after a fight fending off the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. And together they leave Captain Lou Albano with George the Animal Steel. So we kind of sort of get almost like a face turn here with George the Animal Steel leaving with Captain Lou Albano. So in match number one, we get our Syracuse reference and we get our first uh, face turn. So, all right, way to go. Yeah. So it seems like there's a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, I mentioned it's a pilot and there's stuff like there are very weird camera angles. There's one camera that looks like someone's in the third row with a POV camera shot going on for it. Uh, there's the tables in front of the ring that almost look like a boxing judge set up. People sitting there, they're in front of the guardrail, but in between guardrail and the ring, like there's a lot of just... I don't quite understand. I Kevin, can I can I just interject? Do you think maybe, of course, this is the er, the mid '80s that that like you said a boxing setup could that be an athletic commission it setup? Absolutely, could be. I have no idea. It was just very curious and interesting to see it on there. So that will be something we'll have to look when they're in different areas or different states because different states have different commissions. Obviously, right. what what exactly that is? I'm sure probably it has some kind of connection with this. I mean, we're in Uniondale, New York, uh, Nassau County Coliseum or Veterans Coliseum here. Um, it's probably a combination of the athletic commission and maybe the medical doctors that were probably had to be po uh, positioned at ringside in case there was any kind of injury uh, that the, anyone has sustained. Yeah. Cause there's not any padding, any floor pads either. Yeah. And this is before the um, obviously before the steroids trial where Vince says that it's a performance that they're still playing it off. It's, it's an athletic competition. Yeah. Interesting in our team USA group that they're all in plain black trunks like match in plain black trunks uh we also have in our six man here three former world champions although i'm sure educator will correct me i don't think two of them held the world title yet at the point of this match at this point you had um the iron sheik had the the world heavyweight championship um and ricky's not you only one at this point i believe who who else are you thinking Wouldn't steamboat them. Uh, Barry, well, I mean, he, they hadn't had it yet. You're correct. Yeah. yeah Barry okay. Windham um, had the big gold belt when the NWA was still kind of doing a spinoff, which eventually became the WCW International title. Uh, Ricky Steamboat had not had his run yet with Flair. Um, and you've got, yeah, so yeah, you have three former heavyweight, world heavyweight champions in this match. Yep. Yeah, and a random six man opener. It's just interesting. But like, Steamboat doesn't seem to be Steamboat in this match either. Like, we have a certain aura around him, but th there are some sloppy arm drags that he does right. in session on the heels. Jesse called him Steamer, which is the worst nickname I've ever heard, possibly. And from <laughs> just I'm sure that's saying a lot. No, that, that was common with, with Ventura. He would refer to him as Steamer. Oh, it's just uh, awful. I, I, I rewound. I'm like, there's no way I heard that right. No, I did. Um, speaking of things though that like wasn't done yet or wasn't out, like six man tag matches existed, right? Because our our team USA face team here seemed confused at times. Like, who's supposed to be in the ring? Who's the tag? Who's calling the match? What's happening here? Even the end, Wyndham looks like he's looking around for like another spot, and then just goes, "Eh, screw it," and rolls up 
George Animal Steel. Does the roll up finish, right? Yeah, like there seemed to be a lot of confusion here. Um, honestly, in a way, it reminded me of the triple threat match we watched with uh Savio Crush and Farouk, and then your house series, where they were confused because it was one of the first triple threat matches, maybe first one in WWF, certainly first one WWF pay-per-view, probably of the three minute match, their first one doing it as well so it really seemed like they were confused how to do it but i'm watching this i'm like it's one extra person in a tag match you've all done tag matches right <laughs> like it shouldn't be that confusing but really seemed like they're messed up but also back to the pilot idea you gotta imagine there's a lot of pressure on all these guys like if this screws up we're uh, we're all out millions of dollars right so don't screw up tonight <laughs> it wasn't bad matches an okay opener like if i was a kid watching this i'd be all excited as an adult i'm like he could have done a better opener but i'm also seeing that with 2020 or 2021 wrestling not 85 yeah do you think we're gonna see really a classic match on saturday night's main event going through because i really don't i remember obviously I remember saturday night's main event watch i don't remember literally any of the matches that have been on there i mean do you think and i know they put a best of you know uh, DVD box set out of Saturday night's main event, but is there classic matches where people are like, Oh, this 20, 30 minute match was incredible. I don't know how many five or four star classic matches we'll end up having by the end of this, but I do see us creating a five or four match or five or four star segment or sports entertainment or something like that. Like there are things that come up later that, Oh my gosh, that's so cool! This uh, this interaction was so cool, but it's not a great match, but it's an exciting moment or segment. I, I can see a lot of those. There are in in my mind here. I'm there are two particular cage matches that I'm I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to break down that I just stand out from my childhood that we're going to eventually cover. Uh, both of those are going to involve Hogan. Uh, but are you going to have a steamboat flare kind of match? Probably not. Uh, but there's definitely some big moments, some, and they really stick out, um, that kind of set the tone for the idea of the sports entertainment, uh, presentation of professional wrestling. I, I could see us getting a good, IC match. Like maybe like uh, when Savage comes along or a good uh, tag match that could see us given like a four or five star too. All right. So after the match, we get a uh, an inset with Mean Gene uh, trying to get a word in with the heels and then the faces come up behind or George Animal Steel comes up behind. It's very awkward because like you said, there isn't an interview area. So the wrestlers just kind of all run into, into each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we go into the Piper's pit and this to me was the most jarring thing is they joined the Piper's pit in progress and it, and it is of course, Roddy, Roddy Piper with cowboy Bob Orton and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who is a face at this point, just, you know, decided to break away from Piper's group frustrated at how the match at WrestleMania ended where, I guess he takes the pinfall, but there was no help or assist from Piper or from Cow- Cowboy Bob Orton. Uh, the thing that kind of just struck me as weird is just how close the two seats were and how close the, the both men were like sitting next to one another. 
And uh, as the interview and the exchange kept going back and forth, they kept getting up, standing up, sitting back down, standing up, sitting back down, and just so super close, so super tight to each other. Well, it kind of seemed like high school play with that one. Um, Like, Treats and I, there's enough years in between, we probably had different teachers. But there was always a thing of like, oh, you if you're on stage, you have to constantly be in motion. You can't stand still, you know, like you you have to be doing something because people are always doing something. And it has to look real. So they would tell you stupid things like say this standing up and then sit down and then turn over here and then turn over here just to have some sort of action. And it almost seemed like Orndorff and Piper there are like doing high school play. Neither looking at the camera either. It, it also like it's not attitude error, but there's a lot of stuff. I'm like, are you trying to sneak stuff in because you're the show starts at 1130 at night? So you're assuming a more adult audience and you're trying to like sneak a few things in here. Much like when I would do the school plays, Kevin, and I would sneak in the shocker symbol to you in the crowd <laughs> on stage, dropping the shock. Wow. I would always hope in just uh, just an audience of one hoping to pop mm-hmm. Kevin. So what's your favorite nation donation? You remember that? That was a good. That was a good... <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So this is 1985. This is just post WrestleMania one. And one of the things that stand out for me just watching this interview, um, how jacked Paul Orndorff was huge. Yeah. Just looked amazing. And obviously his LJN wrestler where he has basically like a, a 12 pack for abs. It's just crazy. Um, had he had that arm neck injury? I don't had, think it happened yet. Had it happened yet? Because I mean, he doesn't, the atrophy, it doesn't appear to stand out. It doesn't seem to be too visible. I know that when we did our WCW Halloween Havocs and we discussed the tag match that him and Roma had when they were pretty wonderful, how you could tell um, the injury and how the one side of his body was beginning to atrophy away and how he was able to work around it and try to camouflage it. But here, back in 85, I mean, he looked phenomenal absolutely he i mean this 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 is like vince mcmahon's prototype professional wrestler he just he looked amazing absolutely looked amazing and and could work without a doubt could work see and i thought the heel turn was longer too like i was shocked to see this here now i thought for sure it was years and years well, he doubles back again, and he does go heel again eventually, um, and so joins the heel. The tag match turn. That's the, that he's a face. Turn? Yes, he's going to oh. turn again and join, and then join Bobby Heenan and be a part of the Heenan family. And this is going to be um, down the road, and then a right around pre. I mean, when Ravishing Rick Rude then joins WWF. And becomes a member of the Heenan family. That's when Paul Orndorff ends up leaving, turning face, and then joining Oliver Humperdinck. Okay. So there's a whole there's a whole another cycle of heel turn and then another face turn before he leaves WWF for good. Okay, I gotcha. So that that's my confusion. Then I didn't realize yeah. there were two. Yeah. Yeah, this is all, and this early stuff is obviously all new to me because me boring me born in '85. I wasn't watching wrestling at this point, so I mean, it's, come on, I know, I know, I know. Um, so, like I said, this is all new for this early '80s. Yeah, uh, his injury for two more years. Okay. So, Mr. T ends up coming out during the segment, 
Uh, what did you guys think of the, the the Piper's Pit? Besides it being a little awkward with, you know, there there wasn't good framing. There was really no set. They just put the carpet down and they had the the uh, you know the stools. That was pretty much it. The two seats in the ring, up and down, jaw jacking back and forth, putting you know barbs back and forth at each other. Um, Piper going for the cheap shot, but Orndorff fights him off as well as Bob Orton. You know, going for the pile driver on Roddy Piper, but Orton with the cast hits uh, Mr. Wonderful from behind, knocking him out of the ring. The run-in kind of save from Mr. T, I was, I I wish they would have done more than, than him basically just picking up Orndorff at ringside on the floor and kind of walking back to the dressing room with him. I, I wish there was more of a confrontation with Mr. T in the ring with Orndor or with Piper and uh, Bob Orton. But for what it was, you know, it kind of, you know, cemented the face turn with, with Paul Orndorff. And again, now he's kind of uh, aligning himself maybe with, uh, with Hogan and T. So, I mean, we got two segments, two face turns already. Uh, I feel like it was a positioning for Orndorff. Like you needed uh, a worker face like that. Andre's an attraction. You know, you can't really do that with him. But uh, I, I feel like they were just kind of trying to position him. And Mr. T's probably just, you know, can, shows up when he can. I thought he looked phenomenal here. I think it would have made a lot of sense for him to go with it. And then it makes a lot of sense to turn him later too, like we were talking about. Uh, it's weird to see Orton there with uh, a four-word name of Cowboy Bob Ace Orton when, you know, current Dave Vince McMahon would have just shortened it down to Orton or Cowboy and gotten rid of the rest of it. Ace, Cowboy, Bob, Orton. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Come on, man. Well, when you have two middle names, you actually have none. So I, it just it's It's set up. The whole thing is set up. Um, I went ahead and watched the next episode, which there's more of this Piper Orndorff stuff for that, which we'll get to on next week's show. But it's really just, I, I don't feel like you can judge it entirely because it is just set up for the next episode. And that's all it's supposed to be. Yeah. Are you going to find, do you think we're going to, we're going to find and see because this was television. It, it's not a monthly event that you're paying for. It's not a pay-per-view that we're not going to see many blow-off matches. We're going to see this lead to another thing that leads to the pay-per-view. Well, what are the three months for ratings? February, November, and May, I think, for the big TV ratings. I think we'll see big blow-off matches for those ones, for the shows during those months. Yeah, in February, I mean, that's where they they ended up changing the format where it was the main event as opposed to Saturday night's main event, and we, we get that infamous Andre the Giant title win that we'll eventually get to. So it'll be fun to watch, fun to watch. So uh, after that, we see Mean Gene uh, talking with Hawk Hogan. And then we go into match number two on the card, which is the ace, Cowboy Bob Orton, taking on Hawk Hogan. Of course, Cowboy has Piper in his corner and Hogan with Mr. T. And this was a singles match for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, No surprise here with Hogan picking up the victory. You know me, I'm a belt guy. Uh, what are your impressions, Matt, of this incarnation, this version of the WWF championship that you see here? It's not the the winged eagle that everyone kind of like says is the grail 
WWF championship, but this particular version of the title that Hogan had, what are your thoughts on it? It's all right. I mean, I'm not a huge belt guy like you are. Um, you know, for the holidays, though, my father did buy me <laughs> the Fiend replica title, which is oh, very crazy. awkward. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not the winged angle. And to me, that's the be all end all that and the big gold. So to compare it at this point, you have to compare it really to big gold. Right. Because they were both around. I mean, it plays second fiddle to that. I didn't mind it, though. It's it's not a um, I'm not a huge belt guy. Like, I think certain things look dumb. Like, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the newest U.S. title that's out right now that uh, Lashley has. Um, I think they could have done some different things with it. But um, I'm, I like the more traditional. I think I like the more 90s, mid 90s, yeah. early 90s look just right. because that's what I grew up with. Right. Um, this uh, A lot of people compare this version of the WWF Championship uh, that Hogan had in 85, early 86, to uh, what was the NWA Television Championship, mm-hmm. uh, the title that, uh, at least the version that Arn Anderson uh, very much held a lot of it in his early career prior to uh, and post going to WWF in the late 80s, early 90s. So, um, they did multiple versions of the WWF championship until they went to the winged Eagle, uh, that they ended up debuting at that, that the main event that eventually DiBiase was handed by Andre. So I'm just interested in your thoughts on this. They definitely were, you know, I hated the original one that Hogan won from iron Sheik, the, the green belt with the multiple side plates. It just looked the too small the for yeah, him too. Yeah, very much. So, you know, cause that's one thing too. I, cause I hate, match number three when we see the women's title that it just looks so dinky yeah it, it's, yep. it's a like toy. why would anyone even want that yeah it's a toy. in the grand scheme of things so right so what'd you guys think of this one um the typical spot where i thought the match was going to end uh with hogan doing the irish whip and i expected the big boot the big leg drop was not the big boot and the leg drop so kind of a swerve for me as a fan going back and rewatching this match itself. Uh, I, I, the DQ finish, I guess, kind of made sense to further along the storyline uh, with Mr. Wonderful and the, uh, you know, the Hogan team, so to speak, with Pipe versus Piper and, and uh, Bob Orton. Yeah, one thing I noticed, too, like you said, with the swerve of the leg drop, um, much like uh hellions i've i've gone ahead and watched a few of these episodes too is hogan has the pieces right he's got everything but it's not in the right order yet if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense he's not he's got the hits he's got you know the melody he's got the you know the hook but he's just got to place it in the right order that the crowd's really gonna get whipped up into the frenzy um and that is something that that we will see obviously later on when we get towards the later 80s here in a couple of years where he nails it completely. He's Kiss right now. <laughs> you have the music. You have a performance. You have a look. You have albums. You don't have the fan interaction yet because Kiss's first albums failed until they did a live and you could hear all the fans and the live experience was what made them superstars. Hogan's not playing to the crowd as much yet. He's not pointing the finger, you, and all that stuff yet. Once he puts that all together, that's when he becomes the mortal Hulk Hogan. 
and it's close it's real close it's kind of like in your house series and we were watching rocky maivia evolve and we're like oh my god it's all there it's just not put together yet but i was done by he's like 31 or 32 here he's fast he's strong he's got effort going on he's got speed like geez no wonder they just put everything on him it's so obvious here yeah so why don't you uh go ahead and break this one down for us so we see at the start of the match bob orton tries to attack hogan from behind but hogan is able to counter and knocks orton out of the ring Hogan gives chase outside of the ring to Bob Orton and Orton ends up scurrying back into the ring. Orton hits the ropes only to get back body dropped by Hulk Hogan. We see Hulk Hogan with three scoop body slams and then Orton again scurries out of the ring to regroup with Roddy Piper. Back in the ring, we see Orton with a cheap shot knee to the gut and a right hand to Hogan. Orton does an Irish whip to Hulk Hogan in the corner. Hogan moves out of the way of a charging Bob Orton who runs shoulder first into the ring post. We see Hogan with an arm twist and an elbow as he starts working on the casted arm of Bob Orton. Hogan snaps that casted arm over the top rope and then wraps it around the ring post to continue to work on that supposed injured arm that Bob Orton is protecting with the cast. We are able to see Bob Orton hit a a running knee. I don't know if he originally attempted to do a drop kick as he threw Hogan into the ropes from an Irish whip, but he ends up hitting a, a running knee, almost reminiscent to a Daniel Bryan running knee uh, that knocks Hogan down. We see Bob Orton with an atomic drop onto Hulk Hogan and then a pinfall attempt to get a two from the referee. Just weird seeing an atomic drop leading to a pinfall attempt. Uh, We see Orton dropping a knee and a few fists to a downed Hogan. Orton is dropping the point of the elbow into the back of Hogan's head. But Hogan starts to hulk up after we see Orton do two forearms to the back. And here's where I thought the end of the match was. We see Hogan Irish whip uh, Bob Orton into the ropes. I'm expecting the big boot, but instead Hogan bounces off the opposing ropes and hits a running clothesline. We see Hogan hit the corner turnbuckle and run off. I was expecting to see a leg drop, but instead Hogan drops an elbow smash into Bob Orton, goes for a pin count, and we see a two count as Bob Orton is able to escape. We see Hogan with an Irish whip into the corner and does mounted punches to Bob Orton, but Orton is able to counter with a reverse atomic drop. Bob Orton sets Hulk Hogan up for the superplex into the corner, and he is able to lift Hogan up and set him onto the top turnbuckle, and now the entire crowd in the arena uh, noticeably, visibly starts standing up because they're actually pretty impressed with this, wondering what's going to happen. Hulk Hogan is able to fight off Bob Orton's efforts as he knocks him off of the second rope. Hogan hits an elbow drop, jumping off of the second rope onto a standing Orton. Hogan hits the ropes, drops the leg onto Bob Orton, goes for the pin, but the men were positioned pretty darn close to the ropes where Roddy Piper was able to swing at Hogan and hit him in the head during the pinfall attempt, and this leads to a disqualification finish, Hogan winning as a result of outside interference. We see Mr. T attempt to get into the ring to make the save, but he ends up getting beat down by both Roddy Piper and Bob Orton. As Hogan is about to get back to fight back, 
Mr. Wonderful does a run in and chases off Roddy Piper and Bob Orton. Uh, it's really, you know, we're talking about is there going to be blow offs to matches and all. It's a big setup for continuing the Piper Orndorff story. <clears throat> like Hogan Orton and shockingly Hogan here is secondary to that story. It's really kind of surprising. Um, Orton's cast barely plays into the match at all. Which I, I really would have thought it would have. It's a shockingly quick match. Like this whole show just is fast. It's, I think it's only like 55 minutes, an hour and a half when it originally aired, and then minus commercials. But like, I don't think anything goes more than five minutes, probably. It is surprisingly fast for all of it. Um, And I, I wouldn't have thought Orton, like, talk about a guy that could have taken the loss. It's not like it was Hogan Piper on this. I could see Piper like, no, I'm not taking the loss. You know, we'll have a screw ending here. It's a two count. Orton, just pin him. What's the matter here? Like, done it before. Um, and also, you know, we've talked about production all throughout. It was this match that really got to me. Do you guys notice the spots on the camera all night? Like a couple times I got up going to clean my TV thinking it was something on there. But it, it was like a couple different camera angles yeah. constantly had spots on it. 1985, man. It's probably because it was just on film. Right. Probably. That could be it, too. Yeah. Until they they digitized it over. I would have guessed that's probably what it was, Kevin. But go clean your go clean your TV off a couple more yeah, times. Yeah, wipe it down, man. Uh, dust off dust off the VHS tape that's blocking the clock and uh, wipe down that screen. Sure, sure. I I did have to clean out the uh, PS3 because we put a DVD in and it started making some weird hum. So I had to take a little compressed air thing to it. it was fine. You sure it wasn't a Seven Mary Three album? <laughs> Love it. I mean, it, it was all right, joke. It wasn't awkward. It was a little cumbersome, but otherwise, it's all right. Yeah. Well, you know what? She's wanting me less. I'm wanting her more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, after match number two, uh, we get Mean Gene talking with the fabulous Moolah. Then we get Mean Gene talking with Cindy Lopper. Of uh, of course, uh, the gist of the, of the promos here is that Moolah has... Um, went to the WWF to get Cindy Lauper barred from ringside, which they obliged. So match number three on the cart is the fabulous Moolah versus Wendy Richter, who is accompanied by Cindy Lauper and some random guy, but Cindy Lauper gets thrown out, but the random guy can stay. Yeah. Makes sense. Would you say he's a lone wolf at this point? I think. <laughs> Wolves just want to have fun. The man, the manager of the manager is a lot. But, but my favorite part is they just don't acknowledge that he's even yeah. there. Yeah. Do you have a problem with it? Are you not liking it? <laughs> I just thought it was very odd. Liking it? I know girls just want to have fun, but settle down, Kevin. Uh, I thought it was also interesting too that uh, the Fink, who is doing the introductions, says this is for the ladies' title. Yeah, I picked that up too. World Wrestling Federation Ladies Champion. That's actually what it was referred to oh, okay. as. It was. It but then was on not... commentary, they say it's the women's title. Do they call it the women's championship? Yeah. I was under the impression, uh, maybe I guess I'm wrong, that it was not renamed the women's championship until they brought it back at the pay-per-view uh, that Trish Stratus won when it was the Fatal 4-Way or Fatal 6-Way, six 6-Back six Challenge. Whenever they actually won, they brought it back when Sable won it. That would be right around that time, yeah. Reintroduced it to for Sable. 
So what did you guys think of this barn burner? So this particular match, I guess, you know, it's it's it shows how much the women's evolution, whatever you want to call it, how much change has been for the better for for women's wrestling in 2020 compared to what we're seeing from 35 years ago. Um, yeah, all you see is just basic eye gouges and snap nair hair whips kind of deal uh for what the match was i mean what three minutes if that um uh, we we the, the the finish of the match is i'm i'm wondering if this is where the ricky steamboat randy macho man savage wrestlemania three finish comes from the scoop slam oh, the, it, it, but it, that's what the finish was the scoop oh. slam into the roll-up for the pin the unsuspecting pin and we get the the retaining of the title. I just felt like, boy, you can tell Moolah just trains every female wrestler, and it's Moolah's style, and that's it. And I, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I'm leaning towards the camp that blames Moolah for certain things and has certain allegations against her. And that side makes a lot of sense to me with all the stuff I've seen. And I just watched this and I'm like, wow, you just controlled every aspect of this to keep yourself on top, didn't you? Right, absolutely. And, and honestly, like, you know, maybe there's certain people like Vince, like Hulk, whatever, that saw, geez, if she can do that for the women, hmm, I bet you I could do that too. I just, I, I have issues with her. Right. And and also, like, it's not a good match. She looks old here, and she's wrestled for many more years. Yeah, She's absolutely in control. She's only letting Wendy do what she allows her to do. There's no give or take here. It's like, I'll give you a move. Like, oh, God. Kevin, how old old do you think Moolah is at this point? At this point, I would guess 50s. 45. Eh. She's 62. She's 62 in this match. Wow. She was born in 23. In this match, she's 62. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. I mean, she's captain of the Survivor Series team in two years in the Women's Survivor Series, and that was kind of like her last hurrah run. Came back with Mae Young, yeah. Came back with Mae Young in the late 90s. Right. cartoon. Right. Isn't that insane, though? That is insane. Jeez. Doesn't she, yeah, in the later segment, she talks about having a daughter and everything. Right, yeah. Um, it, it, She had a stranglehold on stuff, and I lean towards that she's in the bad place and probably wasn't a good human being. I kind of buy into that as well. All right, is there really much of a match to break down? I mean, I mean I've, I've got a few things, but... I, I mean, you've already did the scoop slam. The scoop <laughs> slam into the roll-up for the one, two, three, and then Richter runs to the ring, and they celebrate in the ring. Excited that she was able to retain. Uh, you know, like I'll, I'll give a little credit. It's sixty-two. I give credit for taking that bump to the outside. Yeah, the over the t- the drop kick to the back over the top rope onto the floor. That was, you know, for what it was. I couldn't at do that sixty-two. Now. At sixty-two, yeah. Now that see that to me that comes off as a little bit more impressive. But I mean, any of the of the moves or just the eye gouges, the back rakes, the mm-hmm. they're just. I, I honestly feel like she held women's wrestling back by it was all her style and her right. dream. Right. Well, we follow that up with JYD with his mom. 
with his mom. Ma- Mama Bertha. She's proud, and she hopes that her son will be able to come home soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he is. Is he going to war? He, he's about to go to war with the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. My new favorite wrestler. Why do you like the Duke of Dorchester? I have never seen anyone sell like this. Yeah. <laughs> or have it's been a while. What over-the-top, comical, ridiculous sell. Every bit of him is ridiculous. How could you not book him on a show? Even yeah. if he's going to lose, he's going to continue to make money fantastic like i i loved barry horowitz and when he got his win and got a little bit of the gimmick and had a ring jacket with his handprint on the back of the shoulder not like stupid stuff like that like oh that's great for a, a job or and all duke pete doherty here duke dorchester i gotta look up more of him this was fantastic yeah do you think that's what's missing now um because we we've seen th- we've seen glimpses of that okay uh i think the two like newest ones for jobbers. Obviously Ellsworth took off mm. thanks to the internet, putting him on the cover of WW2K 20 or 19 or whatever it is. I mean, he just took, it was fantastic. I enjoyed that. And then I, I really think they missed the boat too with Brian Myers having the losing streak right. as being, yeah. I mean, not that he's a jobber because he's way more talented than that, but where they positioned him, he could have made that gimmick work, and then when they finally won, when him and Zack Ryder finally won the tag titles, there's really no build-up to it. Like, they right. just gave it to him on a, a pre-show mania. Like, he's he's a good guy. He always busts his ass. He's just never... I, I think he's given a chance in Impact, but I don't feel like anyone's really given him a huge chance. I think he could do something with it, too. But even, like, the tag title runs just seem to be, like, here you go, and then stuffed immediately after. Right. Yeah, and that's just the WWE thing. Um, so, Educator, why don't you go ahead and break down the Duke of Dorchester versus JYD in what is our main event match of the evening? The final close, closing match of the show. Uh, we see at the start of the match, JYD coming to the ringside with his mama, uh, Mama Bertha. He's uh, apparently going to bring a chair into the ring so that Mama Bertha can watch the match literally in the ring. But luckily, the referee is able to curtail those efforts. So Mama Bertha is going to sit right there at ringside. We see JYD get into the ring. He does a headbutt and a big clothesline uh, to the Duke of Dorchester. JYD knocks Dorchester out of the ring. JYD is now reaching from the ring over the top rope down, grabbing Pete Doherty by the hair to try to yank him back up into the ring. And the Duke is just selling and screaming like crazy. Back in the ring, the Duke of Dorchester is laying in some stiff punches, four to five punches that are absolutely no sold by the junkyard dog. The junkyard dog does one solid right hand to knock down the Duke of Dorchester, and then he does a snap nair to take him down. JYD drops down to all fours and then charges and does two headbutts uh, to cause Doherty to roll out onto the floor. Doherty attempts to get back into the ring by climbing to the top rope uh, for some type of offensive maneuver, but JYD catches him and ends up doing a press slam back into the ring. JYD hits three headbutts, uh, but holding Doherty by his hair, by his ears, so that he can't fall down, and just waylays three solid headbutts and an atomic drop. JYD does the big scoop and the big thump power slam for the one, two, three pinfall. Your winner, 
is the junkyard dog post-match we have jyd's music playing mama bertha gets into the ring and both jyd and mama bertha are getting down with some jive and dancing to close the final in-ring segment of the show all right first of all i think we need some retro merchandise based on junkyard dog's gear and i would like a thump 2020 flag secondly you call this the main event because it is it's the last match of the night but much like saturday night live you have your big skits in the front your musical act weekend update and then it slowly goes downhill after weekend update i wonder if they were kind of doing the same booking idea here for saturday night's main event like hey it's 12 45 in the morning not a whole lot of people are up just throw on a match throw on anything here and then we'll close up the show like they're purposely dumping the stuff at them assuming less people are watching that's your insight (laughs) i i already said how great the duke of dorchester was uh i like i'm just asking i'm just asking if you had more i I like his crawling headbutts that's a move we don't see anymore right yeah i did think it was interesting the placement of hogan uh of course you will see that um next week as well uh, where they where they place Hogan, and it's just kind of interesting to watch what they think will be the, you know, the number one segment or the number two segment, and where they're trying to peak their audience. So didn't Hogan used to do that for house shows too? Like he would wrestle before intermission, take off. Yeah, but I think that was mostly for him leaving, though. Right yeah. to get to the next next town or whatever to get out of there as quick as can. H- Hogan must pose, brother, and then once that's done, you know, we're getting out. That's kind of how I leave work too. Well, part part of it also, and and I was just I was listening to Arn Anderson's podcast. Um, whenever he would go on as the main main, and often they would have the Rockers Brainbusters match. I remember the first time that they had that as the lineup. That like I guess they Tully and, and Arn just felt phenomenal, bumping like crazy for the Rockers. They had a f- barn burner of a match, and Tully Blanchard follows back. Um, goes back in the locker room and, uh, you know, Hogan says something, well, what the hell am I supposed to do after that? And I guess Blanchard made some sort of smart ass comment to him. Like, you know, you gotta, you know, learn to work or something like that. And I guess ever after that, like brain busters were never on the same card as Hogan. So they had to, you know, they ended up going like on the B shows or the C towns and, uh, just never made as much money because of that. So, Hogan goes mid card now, uh, you know, for that for that purpose, so that the better acts to follow, you know, can send the crowd home happy. Some people so. don't want to share the ICO Pro. That's true. So we follow our main event matchup with our main event segment, which is the Cindy Lopper Mother's Day Party. Oh boy! <laughs> um, so this is a segment. This is something. You know, we have the Mother's Day Party. And uh, who's there? Everyone's there. JYD and his mom are there. Is Hogan there? Hogan is there with Mama Ruth Hogan. Mama Ruth. Freddie Blassie's there with his mom. Freddie Blassie's mom from the from the same place Jerry Lawler's mom came from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the segment and Cindy Lopper's there with her mom. Uh, and the segment ends with uh, Mula and Gene Oakland getting cake in the face. Getting thrown in the cake. It's uh... it's a segment. It's a sports entertainment segment. Sports entertainment at its finest. Anything you want to add to that, educator? You know, I, I feel bad for Mean Gene getting kind of, 
I mean, I think the spot was meant to only be Moolah getting slammed head first into the cake, but somehow Gene got in the middle of Cindy Lauper and and Wendy Richter attempting to throw her into the cake, and unfortunately, he's just an innocent bystander. And all. oh well, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Sports uh, entertainment. H- Hogan must pose, brother. Hogan must pose. I mean, it's just. I don't know if they're trying to do a family appeal to it, pushing Cindy Lauper more. Maybe she wanted her mom on there. It's like, oh, if you want me on the show, I promised my mom I'd hang out with her too. I don't know. But I mean, there's, I think there's also a reason that it's buried right here too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that does it. That does it for Saturday night's main event episode one. Ooh. What a ride that was. <laughs> what an interesting thing. Now, there's, there's an, um, so I do want to ask you a question, educator. Oh, baby. For next week's episode, I'm going to give you three options. All right. On next week's episode, do we see a heel turn? Someone else getting cake in the face? Or a title change on next week's Saturday night's main event? Okay. Which one do you think? Because one of those things happens. This is 85. 85. Said he'll turn a cake in the face or a title change. Title change. One of those things happens on the next episode. Which one do you think it is? Eighty-five, and you said there was this. The next one's October of eighty-five. Yep. I'm gonna go with the title change. I think the tag titles change. Well, you'll have to find out next week, guys. Yes, we'll have to find out. I really, I have not looked at the show, and I have no idea what the notes are. So, um, I guess we'll see. Kevin, you know what happens, right? Because you watch the I episode. Know what happens, okay, yeah. so, um, and then we guys, I think we got to talk about the elephant in the room, Kevin. Were you calling me the elephant in the room? No, no. All right, because you would have never forgotten what we're talking about. <laughs> I feel like we've been replaced, Kevin. <laughs> have we been replaced by Vince McMahon and Dick Ebersol? <laughs> because there's three producers on this show. Three producers. There are. I saw I saw a name I recognized. Wasn't yeah. my own. So you will see the credits at the end of this wonderful wrestling television show. Of course, Dick Ebersol, Vince McMahon are the executive producers. And then who is the first producer listed, Kevin? Uh, it's someone's Christian name. His government name? Would it be? Government name. Yeah. Uh, there is one, Matt McCarthy, Matthew McCarthy, who is... Also, the educator of excellence. So, uh, educator, you were the one pushing for this. Of course, you have the Syracuse ties that start the show. You have your name at the end of the show. Explain yourself. Well, you know, at seven years old, I guess I was a prodigy at working behind the scenes for Vince McMahon, being one of his uh, his cronies. I mean, you know, Bruce Pritchard hadn't really. I mean, when he came on, that's when I decided to go finish my schooling. And, uh, you know, I, I let him take over. So, you know, what are you going to do? All right. Anything you want to add, Kevin? I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I am impressed with your work ethic. I hope you get some sort of residuals for it. It's crazy. Uh, you could share the time. I mean, I got network for life. I mean, what are you yeah. going to do? So educator, if we replace Dick Ebersol and Vince. Which one is Dick and which one is Vince? Me or me or Kevin? <laughs> uh, you would absolutely uh, uh, treat you. You'd be you got the McMahon thing going. So you're fired. <laughs> there it is. All right. All right. Why don't we end on that, Educator? What do you want to say to the people out there? 
Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you for continuing your support. Uh, please uh, go check out the Retro Network. Lots of different offerings for you to delve into. Uh, I want to say thank you to my two colleagues here. Uh, fantastic start to the new season. and I look forward to many, many more episodes to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say thank you to everyone for sticking with us. Hopefully you enjoyed the Santa with Muscles episode, our outtakes episode. And uh, hopefully you are watching along Saturday night's main event with us. It is a treat to go through and re-watch this or watch it for the first time in a lot of cases. You know, these cards from the early 80s, they really are an an easy watch. I mean, we slugged through a lot of tough pay-per-views, especially towards the end of the Halloween Havocs. So it's really good to get a show that is an easy hour-long watch. And I know, uh, I know for the new year, you know, it gives me more time to continue doing my DDP yoga. So, uh, yeah, self high five, baby, bang, compared to a self low five. So, Kevin, why don't you uh, take us home? All right, thank you to my two co-hosts here for another great show. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Jason Gross and Richard Reader for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow Matt at Matey Treats on Twitter and Instagram and probably somewhere else too. You can follow me at Mass Library and MassLibrary.com is the home blog. Go ahead and check out the show notes for Patreon, for merchandise, for all sorts of fun stuff. Shout out to our friends over at Odds with Wrestling. And thank you guys for the start of Season 3 for Saturday Night's Main Event. And stay tuned because Last Call with Carson Daly is coming up next. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.